If you know me at all, you know that debt is my bread mm -hmm. and danger my butter. Oh, no, danger is my bread and death is my butter. No, no, wait. Danger is my bread. Death, no, death. No, I'm sorry. Death is my... Death and danger are my various breads and, and various butters. Mm -hmm. Are we okay to answer my restaurant-based questions? What are, what are your that, de that depends on the questions. What do we think of these this trend in restaurants? I don't know how long the trend is, but tell me if you notice it. When when you come in the door, they all like yell hello. <laughs> I don't like that. I have never Whoa. been to a restaurant like that. Yeah, I'm really glad. Well, on the yeah, point on the point of pizza, because I actually like a place called Mod Pizza, which they have a couple of here in the valley. Okay, I think it's fine. The kids like it. We go. So what's so but, unique about Mod Pizza? But it's one of those places where when you walk in, you're like, hey, welcome to Mod Pizza. No. I'm like, no. Do the I customers think, do that too? No, but they. I wonder if they ever will, like mm. an insurrection. So <laughs> everyone, so everyone, do, like all the staff members do this? Yeah, yeah. Every time the door opens. I don't just, like that. I really don't like that. I've, That's I've been too to, much. I've been to Moe's maybe once or twice in my life. You ever been to Moe's? Moe's Southwest Grill? Yeah. Mm. They do I've it there too. I've been there like once. Whoa, they do not do it where I'm from. Yeah, I mean, the one I went to was in Penn Station, so they definitely weren't doing that. <laughs> yeah. Maybe well, it's, I've been to maybe one where they did that. Pennsylvania thing. I don't know. So you've never experienced this? No. Mm -mm. Well, how do you know that you hate it? I don't like the I idea just, of it. I this makes me uncomfortable. I don't want that much attention drawn to me when I walk into a restaurant. That's exactly right. That's my exact impulse is stop. Don't do that. Don't call attention to me. Yeah, I'm yeah. trying to be here inconspicuously. No one's supposed to know I'm going into this restaurant. What are you trying to hide, Well, I'm just trying to hide that I'm eating food out, you know? Wow. People say hi to me, close my like, cover. You don't like that at all. What? I'm surprised this doesn't bother you more. You're Canadian. I. You definitely don't want attention. Well, I had another restaurant question. Uh, well, this came up before, but probably off, off mic of, I am impressed that uh, friend of the show, never guest, current wife, Chris, mm -hmm. one of her singular <laughs> skills is she can identify... A restaurant's uh, plausibility if it's going to stay in business mm -hmm. just on first sight. Wow. She knows immediately and she's always right. Sometimes she can just tell by the sign. She's like, that's not going to lie. There's a new place out near us, which I think is called Skewers, but for some reason she thought it was called Sherwood, so we refer to it as Sherwoods. <laughs> do, wait, do they spell Skewers just the normal way with an S? Yeah, and I don't think there's a Z on the end. I think there is a Z on the end. Is there? Well, that will be a definitely. They're not staying in business. Well, they might have a Z on the end. I'm not sure. So yeah. wait. Does whether or not they're staying in business involve the amount of Z's they have in their name? No, but definitely. I but I think it's in her in her wheelhouse of like the the tools that she uses to know when it's going to stay in business or not. Mm -hmm. Can Z's. we? I mean, she won't be on the podcast, but can you conduct an interview and then like recreate this or yeah, read can, out the results? Right, right. I can do that. Okay. I want to open a, a restaurant called Zach's Pizza Hut. What do we say about that? Lots of Z's. Zach's Pizza. Just Huts. Made, oh, you're Huts. just doing it based on Z's? Okay, you just do the Z at the end. Huts. But pizza has Z in it. I think what we're talking about is when somebody adds like reels, like when you add a Z to something that's an mm. S. It's the Ooh, it's I the mean, phonetic. could you have a restaurant that's Pizzazz Hut? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I don't. If you want. That would be a restaurant where everyone yells hello at you <laughs> yeah. when you walk in. Definitely. When we were in, when we were in college, a uh, friend of the show, future guest Yuvi Zalko, always wanted to start a franchise called Har Hars, where we would build them only beside Hardee's. Har Hars. Har Har Hardee's. Hardy Har Hars. Oh, damn it. <laughs> Did you say Har? <laughs> there was only one way to go with that. On that note, um, this is episode 91 of Very Spreads. Is it 91? Yeah. Yeah, this is episode 91 of Very Spreads and Butters. I'm I can't si believe we've had a whole 91 episodes. Right? I'm Simon T Portmantona. Beside me, as always, is Ben Brickhouse-Cohen. Out in the studio, we've got our lovely producer, Michelle Hyphen Poulton Simon. We've got our lovely uh, playlist intern, Will Madison Square Gordon. Dark. Will just threw up peace signs, okay. even though this is a podcast. <laughs> listeners at home. Yep. And our lovely fact check intern, Ian Code Morse. In the studio with us today, very special guest, professor of sociology in the Department of Anthropology and Sociology, David H.P. Schulman. 
<laughs> Next, you're going with both initials. Both there. initials. Is it Hewlett Packard? Uh, or is it no H.P. Lovecraft? <laughs> I was I was thinking that too. Thanks, Herman Mike. Paul. Herman I Paul. Should... All right. This is this is this a scoop, right? No one ever. No one else knows that. I didn't know that. It hasn't been something that's attracted interest in the past before. Well, to tell you the truth. Um, I mentioned you is... are a professor of sociology. That's your. That's what you study. What is your specialization within sociology? I uh, study how people lie in the workplace. So why would people lie at work? Uh, to seek advantage, to adjust, to survive uh, circumstances, carve a little autonomy out from managers. Mm, I love this internship position. He just Wait keeps a second. On going. He just keeps on going. Man, you've written some books about this. Uh, yeah, I've written a uh, book called uh, From Hired to Liar. Mm-hmm. Oh, and? Uh, well, how much uh, after There's the a, ampersand do you want? Oh, no, I was going to ask about your, your, the book that just came out last year. Uh, that's on uh, Irving Gottman. And so the other uh, area that I study in sociology is uh, face-to-face interaction. Okay. Um, impression management, it's connected to the lie mm-hmm. aspect. I'm interested in how people uh, craft personas to advance themselves socially. Do you, Is it a skill that can we learn how to do it? Um, definitely people can learn how to do that. The, can can uh, we learn in the next hour? Yes. To, to advance ourselves. Yes, you could. Wonderful. We're You'd actually come. end up reading a, a lot of psychology to do that. Oh, enough with the psychology. That's my thing. Well, I, I remember uh, reading Presentation of Self in Everyday Life um, by, by Goffman in my personality psychology class. So there's, there's, a lot of, there's a lot of connections between psychology and sociology. They're not, they're not totally separate fields, I wouldn't think. Now, did you study that in, in graduate school? Was that your dissertation topic? It, it was, but it wasn't. I initially didn't get into that. The um, first real field research I did was with private detectives. Oh, really? And what I was interested in was what do people do when they're lying for a living? You okay. know, as a legitimate part of their jobs. And I thought the best way to do that was to go find people who not only have to deal with liars, but have to lie to be able to deal with the liars themselves. Please tell me that you rode around in a van with a uh, two women, two men, and a dog. Uh, <laughs> can't say that I did that. That didn't happen. Wow. No, I did see the jars of people pee in when they're doing surveillance. Okay, will, that's good. I will say that. Just take pictures. Nah, they're they're <laughs> they're not big on that. You okay, know? good. But were you in uh, van uh, unwindowed vans? Uh, I was not in unwindowed vans. Did you have people call you Watson? No, I didn't. But that, <laughs> that's the first time I've heard that. That's pretty good. Well, there you go. Now, do you did field research? Were you like participant observation with with yes. detectives? Yeah, I went to uh, detective school. Wow. Not full-time detective licensing school, but observed uh, PIs getting trained. What did they make of you? You know, just like, what's this weird person sort of hanging around? They didn't necessarily care. I wasn't a big part of the environment. They're there to go to work and figure out what they have to do to go get paid. Did they believe you? Did they trust you? Um, They didn't care about me. (laughs) You know, because I'm there because the guy running the school is saying, I can be there. So... You know, watching them get trained and talking to them about it is just, I was almost like a piece of furniture in there, and that's not a bad thing. They weren't the, I wasn't going after interviewing that entire cohort or observing them, but getting some training and then fanning out and actually talking to a lot of practitioners. Wow. Yeah. And what, what school was this in? Um, I went to Northwestern. Okay, so this is in Chicago. So yep. this, is, this is the mean streets of Chicago. You were a private detective. I wouldn't make that claim about being a private detective, but well, we're yeah, the, make the it observations right here. You went were, to detective school. Yeah. <laughs> and they are mean streets. I observed detective school. That's that's good enough for me. That's right. good enough for me. That's amazing. Did you ever get into trouble or anything like that Dur- uh, during yeah. your research? Yeah. Like how? Well, you know, sometimes you would go and talk to people and do the same kind of thing most people do. I'm a graduate student. You have your consent forms and all this kind of stuff, and you go in. And I would basically go to these guys and say, tell me how to do this job, what mm-hmm. your experiences are like, do the regular kind of interview. And you guys would just be like, why the hell should I talk to you? The background on this is actually one of the things that they will do is that they will go all the time saying they're a college student who has to write a paper. Mm-hmm. So can they talk to people? Mm-hmm. <laughs> they use that actually legitimate thing. So me going up to them saying, I'm uh, a graduate student. Oh. I want to do research on everything you do sounds like a, a BS. Even though it was kind of claim. Oh. Yeah, even though it was, it was true. It was, it was an entire industry of boys crying wolves. And once the wolf comes, that was that's a pretty good metaphor, right? Yeah, that's fine. Oh, good. I won't cut that. Okay. Did you see any big crimes? No, not really. Did you see lots of little crimes? No, I mean, it, hmm. it's just not as exciting, you you're know, just, without like the soundtrack and the TV stars involved did you, in it. Did you like it? Did you enjoy it? 
Yeah, I did. I love talking to those guys. They are the opening line in my uh, book. I think it's the opening line. I can't remember anymore. If bullshit was music, I'd be the Philharmonic. Mm, and that's what that's... the guy just starts with. I'm like, this is the interview. This there is the go. model of them talking to this yeah. guy as long as I can. And, you know, a lot of them uh, love celebrating, victimizing people who are too stupid to protect themselves. Yeah. <laughs> wow. And so, and so you'll do an interview with this person and you'll somehow... Uh, code it or somehow what will you do with the interview will you, how will you sort of take information from it well you know the informants are coded by the nature of the work that they do mm-hmm. so sometimes you have people who are working I used to make distinctions between people who are in the phone book mm-hmm. when we had phone books that's you know the dated part of this mm-hmm. versus a lot of guys get licensed and they just work for companies Yeah, and they're not going to be working publicly with people I'd sort them out by the nature of the work they're doing and I just kind of go through the techniques. And a lot of times I was just interested in inventorying the techniques. Mm-hmm. After I worked with the detectives for a while, then I started talking to people who were, you know, you hear from the detectives about the ways that people lie yeah. at work all the time. And then I want to advance into talking to people across a range of professions and see the kind of social situations they find themselves in mm-hmm. uh, that make them feel that, you know, it's appropriate to uh, fib a little. So what did you, I mean, what was the big thing you learned? What's the, what's the payout? The uh, the capacity to rationalize what you're doing is built into the social organization and context around you. So for me, the interesting thing was um, people can do a ton of bad things and still consider themselves good people. So that, that kind of like constant philosophical question, how do um, good people do bad things and still see themselves as good people? Yeah. The majority of lies aren't like infamous lies. It's not like, you know, you're burning Madoff, mm-hmm. but the routinization of it is interesting. So, you know, Watching people, well, not watching, but having people tell you about the variety of lies that they tell and have them treat it as a routine mm. that they're just every day dipping into this pool they're always swimming in and it's not corrosive to them, but they just feel like it's socially situated and their morality is um, directed more by the social circumstances they're in than something they're carrying around in the individual little yeah. you know, body that they go in. Yeah. That was what was interesting about it. And so... Uh, I began to theorize how would lies uh, form a kind of infrastructure at work. And so that's everything from lies companies uh, tell you to do. So, you know, appear to be happier than you want to be when you're in the service work um, versus all kinds of things going up the uh, ladder where you pretend not to have guilty knowledge when you're asked or learn how to hide private disagreements uh, in public and meetings and things like that. So what difference then is it also making for an organization to run? That's the stuff that was interesting to me. Is there one component of this category, which is just talking about, I mean, I think this is probably the psychology overlap even more so, where coping mechanisms, people have coping mechanisms every day to get by, like, hey, you busy? Yeah, yeah, I'm real busy. Hey, you busy? No, I'm not busy at all. Like, both of those are lies. They're they're kind of inconsequential, but that's not a criminal lying. But it seems like every day we go around trying to cope with things and end up telling small lies just to get by. Um, that's exactly the kind of thing I was interested in, and... You know, pretty close to what people would tell me. I would split up the kinds of lies by sort of the functions I think they would accomplish at work. So some kinds of lies are to um, make you appear more credible at work, Mm -hmm. make you appear to be the kind of person you'd like other people to view you as. Um, Some lies are just about goofing off. Mm -hmm. You know, how can I shirk and look like I'm just absolutely doing everything I'm supposed to be doing? You know, all those kinds of things. So it wasn't, it was the point you're making, but also... How can you localize it to different aspects of work? So there's the part where, you know, you just don't want people to bother you. Then there's the part where people are forming a kind of common team to lie to customers, hmm. forming a common team to lie to their bosses. Wow. Have you ever thought, of, thought about studying it in the academy? It certainly is a workplace, but somebody used that analogy of not uh, fouling the nest. Yep. I get that. There's also other words for that, but we like to keep this a family show. So but, say it. but there was a person I spoke to about this who uh, couldn't restrain themselves from talking about the kind of stuff you see in grad programs. Oh, okay. That I think is pretty mm-hmm. generic. And person had a lot of theories about why people don't stay mm-hmm. to finish out their programs. And, you know, that happens in social. I'm assuming it happens fairly often in a bunch of other mm-hmm. yeah. disciplines. And uh, it's a little bit like the restaurant. You would be able to tell early on that some people might not be able to make it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But nobody wants to admit that when they're in the midst of doing the classes. So the break would kind of happen right after the classes finishing your out there supposed to be doing your independent research. And then they would teach themselves to hate the institution 
enough so that it was their fault they were going. Mm-hmm. <laughs> now, how does it, now how does this interact? I mean, there, there, the you know the imposter syndrome is something that a lot of people in academics and, and actually many industries podcasters, have. podcasters even you just pretend that you know how to do it. Um, how does it interact? How much of with life it? is that actually? Yeah. Well, I mean, that's. I guess it's a lie in a sense if you're actually qualified to do something. But but it's more in the sense of you're not lying to get ahead. You're almost too truthful. You're almost saying I'm I'm clearly not good at this, even well, though you probably are. Do you? Uh, I don't know if you have it committed to memory, but the the block onion story on the first page of your of your recent book. Um, yeah. What was? Do you remember the title of the, that story? I think it was something like uh, "Today's the day you." Discover you're a fraud or something about yeah. you being a fraud. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Today's day you find out or you're exposed as a, as a complete imposter. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Today is a, it's something like that. Today yeah. is the day you're exposed as a complete imposter. Yeah. That, that hit home with me and I thought this is a great sound off because I think people run that monologue in their head a lot. Sure. Now, so you were in Chicago um, to do your grad work. Which you're confirming. This has come up in three straight episodes. Northwestern is in Chicago and that's the Northwest. Yeah. It's actually not in Chicago. Oh, it's in Evans. It's in oh, that's Evanston. Right. It's in Evanston. How far is that from Chicago? It's in Chicago Land. <laughs> the, 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 right? the Chicago Land area. Yeah, yeah, area. Yeah. Fair enough on that big blue lake. <laughs> where, the east. where were you before that? Before that, uh, I was back east. Okay, where? Um, Boston. Boston. Boston area. Did you grow up in the Boston area? Um, I actually grew up in Mexico. Did you? Really? See. <laughs> wow. We should have done our research. Where? In, so you? So where in Mexico did you grow up? Uh, I grew up in a, a small town called San Miguel de Allende. Yeah, my dad was a sculptor, and he uh, took us down there. So I'd be down there probably seven, eight months a year, and then my dad and would take the family back up to the states for three or four months. So pretty much three to thirteen was in San Miguel de Allende. Now, are you bilingual? I was. I I would be able to understand, you know, most things and speak yeah. decently, but nothing like when you were thinking in the other language sure. that you were in. And right. I went to school. In Spanish for part of the day. Okay. Um, but now my conjugation would be off and, you know, all those kinds of things. I wouldn't be able to do the rapid fire mm-hmm. speaking. Uh, where did you do your undergrad? Uh, Clark University. Is that That's in, in Worcester. Getting off of all of this intellectual talk, what are your... Um, I've heard from many people that you have an affection for really bad... say, people say. People say. People have, people have said that you have an affection for really bad sci-fi movies. And that is absolutely true. Where, where does this come from? So, so, so you've seen every every Sharknado film that's been out there, or or what is your favorite you bad investor? sci-fi film? Um, Sharknado lost a little of its luster once you get to three and four. You know, they oh, okay. they lose the plot a little. Of one it. and two that were fantastic. Those were those were the godfathers of the Sharknado genre. <laughs> wow. One might say. Okay. Um, what makes them so great? What's appealing? To tell you the truth, you know, I, I read sort of intense, serious stuff, and I know people love looking at like deep aesthetics. Mm-hmm. Um, in film and all that, but sometimes I just don't want to think. I want right. to see something that's a lot of fun. You want to see a bunch of sharks in a tornado. Well, but there are other like good things you want to see. You know, goofy alien pictures, zombies. Mm-hmm. Are you werewolves. mystery? Are you a mystery science theater fan? Yes, I was, and I haven't seen the new version of it. Yeah. But you know that, and I of course recognize various and breads and butters from that sort of mm. from the Woody Allen uh, original too. Yeah, you know, someone uh, another person uh, wrote me the other day and said they they thought the show had a MST3K vibe to it. We should just watch movies and make fun of them. I would say <laughs> They Live is probably a pretty that, good favorite. That was a Wait. really that was a really good film. Is Rowdy. that the bubblegum one? Yeah. Oh. That, yeah. Well, oh, I that, love well, that quote. That's a, so that's a that's a uh, r- rowdy Roddy Piper. Nothing. If makes, somebody doesn't know about sure. it, you know, I'll just play that part for the sake of the audience. Sure. It is a uh, who, who, who. Nothing makes a film better than putting pro wrestlers into. Yeah. Act. So it's a film with Rowdy Piper, Rowdy Roddy Piper, and uh, I think it's John Carpenter. John, right? John Carpenter. So it's a film, uh, John Carpenter film of the thing, uh, of the thing fame. By the way, that's sorry to interrupt. That's no. also one of my favorite scares. Mm-hmm. And the thing, the scene when they're trying to see which are the people in that. Do you know? Have you seen the movie? The I've not seen the thing. No. All right, so it doesn't work to talk about the world's scariest scene with. We people. Okay. I haven't seen the film. We need Liam here. He'd we, like this. We got, oh, he would. Uh, former guest friend of the show, Liam. That that was know. one of those like jump out of your seat and throw the popcorn out. Yeah. <laughs> well, they live is actually a um, a movie about a person sort of down in his luck that somehow comes across these sunglasses that when he puts them on, he sees truth as it actually is. So the the, the film uh, technique is that when he puts the sunglasses on, everything goes black and white. 
but then he sees these people running walking around usually very wealthy people that look like lizard people or aliens and he sees these messages on like a regular billboard that you might look up that has like a cigarette ad says you know consume or something like that oh like la story definitely different than LA there's story. billboards in that too. are there oh yeah that talked to steve martin yeah. Well, no, this is different. This is my, this is a But they both have billboards. Yeah. What what else, what else can you tell me about they love that you? Was it is it that lion theme Did that attract you to it? This um, truth exposure? I think it's sort of the the clever but cheesy way they have these sunglasses going and now you see capitalism. Mm-hmm. It's meant to be this you know, these alien I mean, it's not a movie that I think requires like a lot of heavy interpretation, but it's no. deeper than a lot of yeah. Sci-fi and it's got a great fight scene. I mean That's this is a great is, fight scene. Yeah, this is uh not a genre where the angels of one's better nature come out. You know, a great fight scene, good violence, lots of stupid people having bad things happen to them. So do you seek these movies out? Yes, I have. <laughs> not they live though. I mean, usually you know, never been a slasher fan, but sort of the comedy. I'm a huge fan of also the East Asian tradition <laughs> and horror films. Love those. I'm doing uh, train to Busan. Actually, for the uh, favorite oh, right. films. That's right. What is the Train to Busan about? Uh, Train to Busan is a uh, one of the kind of horror movie genres where life is going on normally, people going about doing their everyday things, and then the cataclysmic apocalyptic thing happens, and you see people um, burst out of their routine, and suddenly you see something about who they are when they're confronted by the monsters. And what recommends it to me, it's also, you know, for me, I like those movies where you're not looking at your watch, waiting for it to end. You mm. are caught in. It's got intense pacing. Yeah. They have a creative way of uh, dealing with the zombies that in some ways I haven't seen it before. Wow. And so you really are kind of at the edge of your seat. And one of the nice things about uh, Train to Busan, not to spoil it too much, is that if you're used to an American formula about how these movies are supposed to go, this is not going to do that for you. Yeah, well, that's what I wanted to ask is, uh, although you, you said it's it's um, valuable to watch because you don't have to think about them so much, now that you have watched a lot of them, how culturally situated are they? Like, is there a certain way that American ones will do it, which is in contrast to an East Asian one, like you talked about? Um, a lot of the American ones are usually, you know, and I think I'm going to answer this like a little more of an egghead kind of way. There are a little more obvious um, zombies or analogies sort of thing. And, you know, a little more capitalism, you know, they're in the mall. It depends how many of these you've actually seen. There aren't right. many of the sort of fun zombie movies. Uh, any of you seen Evil Dead 2? Uh, no, but I, I, I know that it's a huge, it's a huge like cult film. Now, have, have interns if, if you want to celebrate mm-hmm. culture, you should see Evil Dead 2, the musical. Oh, wow. <laughs> which actually exists, which yes, I went and patronized. The hit medley, What the Fuck Was That? Mm-hmm. <laughs> when no, the Demon good. Appears. You know, they, they, sure. a lot of clever stuff going on in there. Yeah. In the um, American versions, you know, there usually have to be real heroes and villains among the uh, mm-hmm. humans are surviving. There's always going to be some story about, you know, the brave person who's going against, like, the chicken shit person mm-hmm. who doesn't do anything when the zombies come. Yep. Can't trust government. There's a little of that in the other one, but also when the nature of what the zombies do... And last side, uh, you know, you don't get some of the same stereotype stuff that you would get. You know, there's always going to be the hellbilly guy with the great shot who's going to save people, mm-hmm. <laughs> walking dead, you know, this kind of thing. So uh, they're, they're much better, I think, at, you know, take these average group of people. There's the plucky person who you kind of root for. But the way that they're stereotypical is not the same way that they are in uh, the States. And I think I just like seeing the difference. That's yeah. cool. I like seeing, uh, that, it's fun how different, how many different ways that comes out. Cause it's come up in class a couple of times this semester. We were watching, uh, watching modern times, a Charlie Chaplin movie from 1936. The, the one famous scene is him when he's going through the gears of the yeah. machinery and it's fun. It's pretty on the nose. He's like, here's a movie about getting ground up and becoming part of the machine. Mm-hmm. And so just in case you had to wonder what it was about, he's actually going to get ground up in part of the machine. <laughs> so you don't have to think it through, mm-hmm. but it doesn't not in like a stupid way. It's like, I'm just going to put this metaphor right in your face. So you get it. And uh, it works really well. And that's sorry. That was also right there with the surveillance. Yeah. Right. Big, with the right. video where, you know, the boss can just zone in. Right. Sector four, one sector two, seven, raise it up. And then there's a dude without a shirt who runs around and pulls levers. He looks exactly like Sean Hannity. Mm-hmm. You should see it. Modern times. Boy, Modern that times. was <laughs> that was some good psychic work right there. I watched Rogue One last night and really enjoyed that. So <laughs> it was a great, great film. Do I you hope- think that that requires a knowledge, a working knowledge of the series? 
Oh, Rogue One? Yeah. Um, It doesn't, I don't <laughs> think it, I mean, it, it actually was one of the, the movies that I think works well on its own. I mean, it fits in well with the series. In fact, while I was watching it, I was, I was constantly surprised at how well they fit in with the rest of the series. But knowing that, well, they they too knew what was happening both before and after that movie, it wasn't such so spectacular. Like, of course, they would make things fit in because they know what's coming. Uh, but it, I but I enjoyed movie. it. It's a good movie. I liked it. I think I think it was. I'll say this, and maybe maybe people disagree. I think it's maybe my favorite of the seven that have been out there, eight that have been out there. I think it's my really? favorite. Yeah, I really enjoyed it. Whoa. I thought it was good. That seems that's inflammatory. A, I'm just, that's I'm a just, radical claim. <laughs> just We're gonna saying lose it. listeners. You know what? You're going to start fights in like in our Twitter feed. We're going to have negative listeners after this. Yeah. People <laughs> will be listening to other podcasts in spite. I already yeah. stopped listening. Oh, wow. <laughs> well, we had a, I have a musical question for you. Shoot. I wonder, age 10, could you say what your favorite music was. What were you listening to? <laughs> Harry Belafonte. Harry Belafonte. Harry Belafonte. This is, this is tied to the Mexico thing. So when yeah. I grew up in Mexico, you're not getting like a lot of American sure. Tom Forty. And so okay. I'm listening to the stuff that my parents are wanting to listen to. And my mom loved listening to Harry Belafonte. So that's what I would remember from 10. Any particular songs you remember? Uh, you ever seen the movie Beetlejuice? Remember the yes. song yeah, yeah, that yeah. they're doing when the... Yeah, is it banana? Uh, what's it called? Banana Boat song. Banana Boat. Is that what it's called? That would be the song. There you go. Thanks, Ian. It's going to be on the playlist. Okay, so Harry Belafonte at age 10. Harry Belafonte at age yeah, 10. Yeah, you didn't, you didn't uh, flinch at all. Okay. Right so, on. Yeah, no no political consciousness with that. Just that's what was in the house. There you right. go. So, you're at, so, so now you're in college. In, in Worcester. In not the, yet in, in the Chicago land area. In the Boston, Boston land area. In the Boston land area. Uh, the, answer is, the answer is The Clash. The Clash. And the just clash. The Clash. Big fans of the police. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I was in a, a hardcore punk band in college, actually. Is that you, so? You played guitar, I believe. Yes, I did. What uh, was the name of the punk band? <laughs> and can we find recordings? Uh, no, you can't find recordings of it. Uh, no, you may not find recordings of it. No, it or is impossible it to find. Possible. Uh, you would require some assistance, which you won't receive from me. How about that? <laughs> okay. Are what? they buried somewhere with the lost episodes? Maybe. Maybe. Maybe yes. they're hidden. Ask, ask, Time capsule of terrible music. Did you play? Uh, did you play original stuff, or did you play covers? Yeah, original stuff. Did, oh, you didn't play. Clash at all or any of that? Uh, we did uh, do a couple of covers. That was when uh, that was when the police uh, were in their heyday. Yeah, but there's also when the Clash uh, were starting to really get popularized. Not you know from their earlier music, but they were starting to right. pick up around. I think it's around the London Calling time. Mm-hmm. Okay. Prior guests are developing a pattern where the musical choice at age ten is is almost always something which is popular for that for whenever they were ten years old. Um, and the one at age 20, there's a lot of diversity. Sometimes it's uh, some some subgenre or subculture of music that's popular. Sometimes it strays intentionally from that. Mm-hmm. And then 30, you can't pin it down at all. It could be anything. So in your case, by 30, what was it? Back to Harry Belafonte. Were you still in the punk band? I know. Those those days have, have long gone. Um, at 30. Could have been David and the Coppers with all your t- detectives. That's really good, actually. Was it David and the Coppers? Uh, it was not. Okay. They, they love being called that. Huh. I got to say, I think I still stuck with a lot of the groups I liked. Yeah. Then I was always a big fan of The Who, David Bowie. I'm still just... listening to sort of the same people. Yeah. I think. Didn't have any new discoveries. There was a local band in Boston I really loved, but I didn't learn about them until I was 22. Was it Boston? It was not Boston. It was a, a group called Rick Berlin, the movie. And I'm still <laughs> shocked to this day that they never made it yeah, huge. They were just phenomenal. <laughs> I used to go and see them all the time at uh, the channel and a bunch of Boston clubs that don't exist anymore. There you I, go. I think he's telling the truth. I think but actually, I, I do love cheesy music. Have you ever seen Bill Murray sing the Star Wars theme? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, that so kind no. of stuff always cracks me up. And I love uh, bands doing terrible covers of songs. Is that, does that that's, really, that's really fun. Is that in keeping with the bad sci-fi movies? I think so. You know, I want them to try and be funny. At least, like, I'm not right. doing it to be sadistic. Sure. Um, but I think Pat Boone doing Black Sabbath, that's pretty amusing. <laughs> I don't know if you know he cut a heavy metal album. I did not know that. No, that's actually true. There's a guy in Vegas named Joey Cheesy <laughs> who does a bunch of songs. And uh, I've seen Dread Zeppelin. They're fun. Mm-hmm. Oh, I, I, I've i listened to Dread Zeppelin. I don't know if I've ever seen them. I know there are a lot of like bluegrass bands that do a lot of covers and stuff. That are, But but I actually, I actually enjoy it. But those. see, that's starting to sound intellectual and like musical. And... Yeah. Okay. This is not that. We're out of our depth. Okay. 
I want like the the People magazine equivalent of music. Sometimes you want to enjoy yourself. There we go. Have you heard Bernie Sanders' folk album? I have not. I have not. Mm. That's that, a thing. That that is a thing from when he was in Vermont. You know what? Yeah. We'll throw 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 one of those so. on the playlist. Um, if it's on Spotify, I totally will do that. Don't yeah. you get the feeling it would be something like Billy Bragg? Or don't you want to think <laughs> it would be like Billy Bragg if Bernie Sanders cut in the folk album? No, so it's, it's really just Bernie Sanders talking folk lyrics over music. Mm, so it's more it's of a William Shatner. I kind of want to like it, but I don't think it would work. One band in Boston was called The Swingin' Erudites. And all they did was uh, bad Bon Jovi covers. Wow. You're making it hard for Will to find any of these. Do you have a quiz? Uh, I do have a quiz. Do you want to take a quiz? We have a quiz. Let's have a quiz. Let's do a quiz. Let's do a quiz. Studio. You, quiz. You, you guys ready? Quiz. 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 Will clearly is not in the quiz I am spirit. so ready for the quiz. Oh, ding, ding, ding. The quiz. Uh, the quiz is on the theme of honesty and deception. Ooh. So it's kind of a double thing because all of our quizzes are on that theme. Are these things real or not? So the proposition of the quizzes are, um, is it true or false? But this one is, are these famous con men or not? And I'm gonna I'm gonna really try that if I really know the answer, not to give it not away. to explain every single thing about it. I don't believe I don't believe that you're going to succeed. Maybe <laughs> you're gonna try, but I don't believe you're gonna succeed. It's really important Wait. to me that when I actually know something, that I let people know that I know it. Are there any stories from your upcoming book in here, Ben? I can't give anything away here. Okay, nothing. But I will tell you that the first one, so you have a sense of what we're talking about, and you all know this is the mic check question. Yep. Check check. So Dave, you'll go last. Simon will go and try not to give it away to everybody else than the interns, than the expert. Straight But face. it's always better when he gives away the answer. It helps us out here. No way, Michelle. Michelle. Not this time. The thing is that I carefully craft these after copious amounts of research. So much time. That, so like 15 minutes? Oh, God, I dream. <laughs> if we could do that. Huh. All right, first one is Charles or Carlo Ponzi. Okay. Was that a con man or not? Famous con artist. Well, I suppose it could have been someone who was conned, but I'm going to go with he was a famous con artist. What do we think, interns? I will also go yes. The name is Ponzi. Charles Ponzi. 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 Chuck Ponzi. 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 Carlo. Was he, he a pansy? He was, he was scheming, folks. He, he was uh, Italian, moved to New York, but don't, was he a con man? Don't oh, I'm going to say I'm gonna say it was a con man. Mm. Yeah. Okay. Dave, what do we think? Uh, Ponzi was definitely a con man, but okay. I can't remember whether it's exactly that first name or not. Do you throw twists into your quizzes? Oh, I not do. this early on. Not no. this early on. But, no, no, no. Uh, yeah, I, I saw that it had been spelled many different ways, and sometimes it was Charles, but sometimes it was Carlo, was his original name. Mm. So that's why I said Charles or, or Carlo. There you go. Okay, um, so we're all right. So does everybody in the studio know what con is short for? Confidence. There you go. Yes. Mm. Dang it. Con- <laughs> confidence games, to gain your confidence. confidence. Do you, have we talked about the confidence man, the Irvin Melville? Novel, do you know the novel? Um, I don't. I love it. The Confidence Man, the subtitle is His Masquerade. Good to know. It's from the 1850s about a, a con man who's on a, a steamboat going up the Mississippi. It's hunting whales. Hunting whales. <laughs> 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 I know things. <laughs> All right. So now the first real one. Okay, here we go. Don't give it away. Don't give it away. Don't give I'll it away. give you the name of the con artist and their, and their famous con, mm-hmm. uh, which was all packed into Ponzi. He got the scheme named after him. Got it. This one, Canada Bill Jones, known as the king of the three-card Monty. Canada Bill Jones? Canada Bill Jones, king of the three-card Monty. Ugh. Was his first name Canada? Um, I'm going to say three-card Monty. I would think it would be like like Monty Hall would have done the three-card Monty. Is that really what? So, you know, I'm, I'm going to say no, not Canada Bill Jones. What do you think, Michelle? I'm going to go yes. Okay. And well... I'm going to go no because I don't like how Ben said it. Mm. Three times you didn't like how I said it? In that weird Which of the three times was the right way? Can you pick it? None of them were the right way. Mm. What do you think, Will? I don't think it's real. So what am I being asked about whether... like it, what Was this a real con, famous con man? Canada Bill Jones. But to help us out, I actually said what the con was. I'm going to go with a no on this. Three card Monty's real, but I don't know that's this guy. It's a Yes. Oh, he brought it to prowess. He was around in the mid 1800s, 1830s to 1870s. Canada Bill Jones. What is the three card Monty? That's like when you see uh, street hustlers and they got three cards on the table and they're switching them around and you got to pick which one is the, always the red, never the black. Yeah. The version you're going to see a lot is where they cover a ball with a shell. Yeah. That's a variation on it. Yeah. And they'll usually have a plant out there who gets it right. So people spend all their money and then, you know, they're able to palm and they do other things. Mm -hmm. All right. How about the Marco Escondola's con? This was the tenured musicologist whose studies of musical cognition unraveled 
After people could not replicate his results, he had long written that concert goers could only remember seven songs in a set list. Out of how how big of a set list? Well, any any mon- number you couldn't remember more than seven. Was it maybe the, seven plus or minus two songs in a set list? How long were the songs? <laughs> <laughs> Can't ask for a confidence interval on that. Simon's trying to get uh, information out to Marco. Um, the I'm Marco Escondolos con. I'm gonna say this is a true. No, this is a false. This is false. Wait, what was the purpose of this con? Like, what what did he gain from? He was he a was researcher. a he was a researcher whose whose research was unraveled because he fabricated his results. But that oh, okay. was his famous conclusion. Mm-hmm. Gotcha. So I'm gonna say false, Michelle. I'll go true. I guess <laughs> she's she's just so over this. I'm well, not over this. I just don't have like a a confident answer on this one. Confident answer, hmm. Ian. Mm-hmm. Well, yes, Ian. That was nice. Uh, I'm gonna go true. Uh, why was there such a long description? I feel like that's a, like a red herring, or like you're trying to playing what? playing the the questioner, not the quiz. Yeah, I perhaps he's trying to con you. I thought Michelle exactly would say more it. about it. It mm. seems like a lot of this quiz game is about seeing whether he's being honest or deceptive. Oh, that's a, that's a hundred percent of 100%. the quiz. They, yeah, they just Michelle usually gets all these. They're not very well constructed, so you have to take get something from them. Uh-huh. I usually play the face, but I can't really see the face. You nope. don't have a face. I'll say no. What do you think, Dave? Um, I couldn't remember the Dutch guy who forged a lot of this stuff um, in social psych, like priming stuff they found out was false, but it didn't sound like a Dutch name. I'm going to go no. It's no. Okay. But I just wanted to draw you out in your seven plus or minus two deal. George, George Miller. And I had to get a fish reference in there because uh, Marco Escondolas is mentioned in the song Run Like an Antelope. Oh, good. And I was listening to that when I wrote the quiz. Oh, great. Isn't it nice it gives you the provenance of the question? Uh, no, it is not. <laughs> All right, this one um, is for everybody, but I want Ian to hear it. Mm. This is about the con man, Professor Henry Friend, and the Electric Sugar Refining Company. Was he a con man? Electric Sugar Refining? The Electric Sugar Refining Company. Because they used to do it with steam. And then they came up with the Electric Refining System. By the way, friend of the show, future guest, uh, Charlottesville resident, uh, David Singerman, he's going he's gonna to love this quiz. Okay. I am going to say, sure, True. Michelle? Sure. Can true. Ian go before me because somehow this is targeted at him? No, mm. you have to go. Ooh. I only said that because I knew he wasn't going to go before you. Fine. Laying down the law. Don't worry. He doesn't have good reading retention anyways. <laughs> yes. You're committed. So committed. It's true. Well, do I answer? Yes. I'll say maybe. Okay. No, okay. I'll say yes, yes, yes. Yes, Dave? I don't know what I'm going to go Yes. Yes, it's yes. Oh. Ian even read the description of it once. Mm-hmm. Really? Too many yeah. words. That's a, uh, That's the answer to uh, Will's question. Yes, he's in the, in my book. Oh, okay. He was selling uh, extremely well-refined sugar for a high price in, in Brooklyn, and he had a secret uh, electric refining process, and he had it under a blanket and room, and he'd bring it to all the investors, and he'd wave his arm over it and say, it's under here, I can't show it to you, it's proprietary, but when you leave the room, I will show you the results of the process. And they would leave the room, and then he'd have these bins of really highly refined sugar. Say, ta-da, there it works. And um, it took them several years before they figured out that he just had his like brother-in-laws back there switching the sieves and pouring the pre-refined sugar from one barrel to the other. Wow, that's deceptive. I would I would just be worried all the time that I would get caught. That's why I would never do that. And they, also it's long. they only caught him because he died, and his wife couldn't hold up the con. Wow. She couldn't carry all those bags of refined sugar in by herself. <laughs> no. Wow. So did did he still refine the sugar in some way? No. So he, I mean, he so just he bought, bought refined, refined sugar, sugar somewhere else and then sold it for a lot more, I claiming mean, it was even better. That sounds like a proprietary idea. That was in 1889. That is in the late 1800s. All right, the next one: uh, con artist or not, the career of Gary Busey. Uh, he. Uh, I liked him in *Lethal Weapon*, so I'm going to say, say false. What do you think, Michelle? I will also go false, but I I appreciate this. Mm-hmm. I guess I'll go false. Uh, mm, this is a yes. <laughs> what? <laughs> yes, our guest has it correct. It is, is a con. How was he? How was he have a career? That's a total con. <laughs> job. He's, got those, he's got those really big teeth. That is an absolute con job that he could have a career. Okay, but he's, he's he not would... Nick Nolte. Only by perhaps being confused for Nick Nolte in earlier years. But what about what about Lethal Weapon? Bonnie Ho- Buddy Holly's story was good. We're talking right? post-motorcycle accident. Yeah. Well, what about the next one? Uh-huh. The career of Tom Berenger. Tom Berenger. What was he in? Was he in, uh, in Platoon? Was he in Remo Williams' The Adventure Begins? Fred Ward. 
Fred Ward. Oh, he was in They Live. No, Frank. no Fred Ward was the guy. Oh, the guy. Okay. Um, that's a B movie. It's like my my thing. Yeah. I would th- I would think the adventure would continue, but it never did. It wasn't a bad movie, actually. It's I think it good. wasn't a bad movie. Yeah. yeah. Um. He he ran across wet cement. You know, <laughs> in terms of whitewashing, there mm-hmm. was a Joel Grey problem. Does anybody in the studio yes. know what they're talking yes. about? Um, other, there's, there's nobody in here. Does. Listen, <laughs> Liam, Liam will know what we're talking about, so we're good. Um, so we have officially reduced our audience to one. Yes. Uh, what? Sorry. What? What was the question? The career of Tom Berenger. Tom Berenger. You were just all supposed to answer quickly, like, "Oh, that's funny," because you said Gary Busey. I'm going to say and he's another terrible actor. He's a ter- no. I'm going to say no. False. He's a he's a he's I, a craftsman. What do we think, Michelle? Is I'm there a right no. answer on this? This is uh, for your sake, Michelle. There's there isn't a right answer. So then maybe. Good. Mm. Well, Anne? Absolute yes. Mm-hmm. I don't know who this person is. Okay. What do we think, Dave? No. You appreciate his acting? I think it's con. I don't know how he gets jobs. I think well, it's terrible. Well, what was the last job he had? Platoon, 1987. That was the last job he no, had? No, actually. He was in Inception. There you go. What? Nothing yeah. wrong with that. He was the guy, um, I know, some top-notch CEO or whatever that got arrested. No, sorry. That they kidnapped um, and like chained to like a pipe and... I forget why. He always like, plays that like ominous guy, the mm-hmm. ominous representative of the company. Like or a something. scar yeah. on his face. Kind I, of want, I want. I want to listen to a new podcast where Ian describes movies. <laughs> I I will I will produce this podcast. It's a good podcast, right? Maybe as long as the movie. The next one is a gentleman named <laughs> named Soapy Smith, and and his con was the soap prize soap racket. And I have a lengthy description for you. Uh, now, if I if if we're right, Wait, will you, we, will you not do the description? <laughs> Soapy Smith in the prize soap racket. Uh, I'll Did you say, have a clean record? Oh boy. <laughs> We're running out of time. Was to it fire expunged? You. Oh. <laughs> that was good, oh, Michelle. <laughs> Just everybody leave. All the puns keep, are bubbling up. Keep the keep the keep the recording on, but everybody leave. You know I'm cutting all that. I will say yes. True. This was this was a con artist. What do we think, Michelle? If it's true, I hope he's behind bars. All right, this is my last one. <laughs> yeah. yeah, we know. <laughs> sure. Yeah, oh, I think yeah. definitely I like Soapy Smith. No. Wait, can we hear the lengthy description before? That, no. All right. Yeah, Is also, is there any homework, teacher? <laughs> <laughs> yes. It's uh, yes. Yes. <laughs> the lengthy description is, uh, this was, there's a thread of consistency in a lot of these cons, which is you have a, a shill or, or someone out there um, to, to help it along. He would uh, wrap bars of soap in like $100 bills and different denomination dollar bills. This too was back in the 1800s and go out west. And then you'd have a whole barrel of these bars of soap and say, you know, everybody buy one, you have a good chance of of, of getting one of the uh, high dollar ones, like getting some of the money. And so, you know, of course, he would hand out a bunch that had no uh, dollar value and then he'd get a uh, shill out in the audience who would do it and he would get the, you know, the $10 soap. It's like, it's still possible. There's still some left in there. We still have one $100 soap bar in there. And of course, he, he never did. But he would do this enough, and he would just go from town to town, and this lasted several years. Was this portrayed in Deadwood? I don't know. I think it might have been. It seemed reminiscent. I actually was going to have like an Al Swearingen joke. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But I, I cut it. Okay. Because that reminded me of something in Deadwood, but I didn't go back to find out if he actually did it in Deadwood. I think I think, I think it was. That's I, I've heard does it of this sound before. Familiar? Yeah, it does. Yeah. So that was based on a real guy, Soapy Smith. Soapy Smith. Thomas Je- or Jefferson Randolph Soapy Smith. You, you makes me think you could have put the. Gold, a good con off on Willy Wonka and the Golden Ticket. Yeah, there you go. Could have sold fake Golden Tickets to people. Oh, all right. I only have one more. Okay. I think that's actually mentioned in the book. I think someone like gets a counterfeit ticket. Oh yeah, yeah. it actually is true from the Wonka movies. Uh, the competitor intelligence stuff between chocolate companies. There actually is a lot of spying. Oh, <laughs> corporate espionage. Left Twix and right Twix. Mm. Do you ever consult for for companies? No. Would you? I got a, a couple of offers actually when the book came out, and there was some good publicity around it. One guy, um, one guy uh, made an offer to explore doing a kind of thing where he's the angel talking about how people should always be honest at work, and I'm the devil talking about how lying is inevitable. <laughs> and he thought we can have like a nice little um, routine doing that. Did you have to dress up? No, <laughs> did you have to I didn't explore it. I didn't explore it long enough got to be it. able to see that. The last one is, is this a con or not? The Blue Apron Home Delivery Meal Kits. Oh, yeah. Technically, Blue Apron is not a con. Michelle? 
If we call it a con, they're never going to sponsor our podcast. We'll, we'll just point, go for Michelle. HelloFresh. I feel point. like I, I hear them advertised on every podcast. Exactly. Besides this one. So. If we get advertisers, then I can actually get paid for my work. So yeah, that would be true. pretty nice. Next, make a joke about Audible. <laughs> do not do that. <laughs> no, they're the real deal. Audible.com. Uh, visit and enter discount code VVV. Mm-hmm. For what, Simon? Free error message. What do we think, Dave? Blue Apron? Real or not? Casper Mattress. Real or not? Uh, they're real. They're real. Why Why do you the ask whole, if a con? The whole thing seems like such an elaborate con to me. Okay. Like, hey, why don't you all buy these meals? It's only $10 a person. What a great deal. Hey, why don't you all get this meal? It'll only take you 45 minutes to make it. That's awesome. Hey, did we tell you it's sustainable because there's not that much packaging? Every bit of packaging you get is infinitely more than the zero packaging you would have had if you had just, you know, picked this from your garden or got it in one bag. Okay, but like... Pick this from your garden is not practical for the vast majority of Blue Apron's target audience. Yeah, well, the vast majority of Blue Apron's target audience has plenty of chances to grow their own damn tomatoes and go to the store. You know, I should have been smart and realized <laughs> that somebody with a possible progressive outlook, when they mention a corporation, the answer is always <laughs> going to be they're bad. <laughs> He's not a Blue Apron fan. I'm not a Blue Apron fan. It is a con. Have you tried? Well, I Blue like Apron? I like Blue Apron because uh, they can totally be our sponsor. I'll make I'll work out this deal. Please do. do I will cool. say nice things on this podcast uh-huh. if they sponsor this podcast. We'll cut. We'll cut this part if if they actually agree to be our sponsor. I'll I'll, I'll, agree, I'll agree to that. If they agree to sponsor us, then I'll, I'll cut my rant. And they can send you a whole box of Blue Apron stuff. Sure. Oh. Did you have a question, Simon? I do. Okay, are you prepared for this one? Friday or Sunday? Which do you prefer? Friday. Friday. Is that always been the case? Yep. Even t- even to this very day. Always. There's never been a pro Sunday day. What now? Even even though you're working on Fridays, what what is it about Sundays you don't like? That I have to anticipate going in on Monday. So it so it is the anticipation thing. It's always the dread. Yeah. It's always the dread. Friday is the release. Mm-hmm. Sunday is the dread. Saturday is actually a huge favorite, and you always want to pretend you can just invoke. I want to have this rule where you can just invoke an extra day of the week mm-hmm. once a month. Yeah. Just to get whatever you have done, you can just invent a day and add it in the week. I've actually, I was thinking about this last night. I've actually found that maybe as I get older and I stop doing a lot of fun things on Saturday nights, that now Saturday nights are becoming a little depressing because Sunday's the next day. <laughs> that's, it's just going to keep You got a back. lot of problems there. That's, know, that's you. I know. It's okay. Saturday's just the golden day always. That's a good day. Do you guys still ask the licorice question? Well, yeah, I was going to say. That, that's can... the follow up. Are you a licorice fan or not? I am a licorice fan. Oh, oh God. But, but. But. But there's a but. Black licorice is satanic and evil. That's all we need to hear. So wait, what is? Oh, your licorice like licorice root? Licorice, red licorice, licorice candy, red licorice. Oh, yeah. red licorice. That's okay. Is it, but now is that it's real a black licorice? licorice? But it's a black licorice. Don't press him on okay, it. He's, he's on our side here. Yeah, I haven't done authenticity <laughs> testing on on licorice. I just know black tastes terrible unless you're drinking ouzo. And for some reason, when you throw a lot of alcohol into something, it gets better. And it tastes like licorice anyway, so it's all the same. <laughs> but after <laughs> but, a few, <laughs> the taste doesn't bother you anymore. There you go. So we have, we, we've confirmed Friday, black licorice, just like it always is. Yes, Friday, anti-black licorice. Mm-hmm. You keep confusing people. Yes. Well, they can read our papers. <laughs> sure. Yes. Let's they can keep also, reposting. What else can they do? They can follow us at some later date on Twitter. They can follow us on Facebook. They can follow us on Spotify. They can follow me on Instagram. Just got an account, so... Really? Yeah, go ahead. Stone of? Yeah, something like that. Um, why'd, you, why'd you get it? I don't know, because it seemed like... Everybody all, else is? All the kids were doing it. You gramming now? Yeah. If uh, all the kids jumped off a bridge, would you follow them? Yeah, Simon. Yeah, it seemed, if it seemed does cool. Michelle have the ethical high ground picture. here? <laughs> yeah, she probably Once does. Again. I also have an Instagram account, so... Yeah, but you're one of the kids. Yeah. It's, it's true. Can I take a picture of Simon going off the cliff with all the kids? And post to that Instagram. <laughs> that would be so yes. such that would be instaception. <laughs> um, Dave, thank you so much for being here. Thanks for talking to us for this hour and dealing with Ben's quiz. Do you have anything to plug? Do you have great. any upcoming appearances, Simon? I'll, I'll be at the Chuckle House in Kenosha. I thought it was the Chuckle Hut in Sheboygan. Oh, I don't know. <laughs> the Ha Ha Hole in Tulsa. Oh, anyway. I think we're good. All right, I think we're good. Headphones off. Headphones off.
Is it odd to anybody else that coal-fired pizza is something that you advertise, that it's something that you say to people like, because oh, yeah. you think it's going to get them to come eat the pizza? Well, we got to get. Those, I think it's weird. We have to get those coal jobs back somehow. Why? Trump's going to bring back coal-fired pizza. I think that joke has already been made. The the contrast doesn't have to be like solar-powered pizza. Yeah. Or like renewable energy. Yeah, you pizza. can have solar-powered pizza though. I mean, no, that sounds weird. Solar-powered <laughs> cooked pizza. <laughs> we are. <laughs> I know it's our want, but we're straying from the main purpose of the question right off the bat. Why? Why would somebody want to eat coal pizza from a coal-fired oven? And, and does it, it seems matter? Ashy and dark. And well, or does it even matter? The heat source. Does that even matter? Well, I think like a, a wood-fired wood-fired oven sure. is, gives it a certain taste, just like any kind of cooking or brewing process. Like the, yeah. the source so, of energy matters, but I don't know why you'd want like charcoal. Like it's just like, hey, I got a barbecue out back. I'm gonna make a pizza on it. Yeah. So, how do you prefer your pizza to be made, Ben? Well, like a clay oven or wood-fired oven. Oh, what? So why does it matter what it's because, cooked in? Because they taste better. Really? Yeah. Pizza tastes like pizza. You haven't had the uh, a. A pizza from a wood-fired oven versus an electric stove? I probably have had both, but I do not recognize the difference. Does a brick, Ian, does Ian a doesn't put spices on his food. Whoa, this is a completely different topic. <laughs> Wait, any spices whatsoever on any food? Completely different topic. Ben, we can stick to your question. Wait, no spices on any food ever? Yeah, I don't I don't like Do you to. have a taste bud problem? Did you have an accident? What are no, we I think, what are we de- like declaring a I spice? I think actually what I've discovered recently is that my family never puts salt um in their like cooking uh-huh. and sodium usually like increases the intensity of flavor so i'm used to just kind of low intensity flavor what do you expect from indonesian food i oh, yeah. have absolutely no idea it, it is going to have spices i yeah i can imagine see i can eat spices it's just like how come they don't have indonesian restaurants they they, they do they just not, probably in not Indonesia. probably not in easton well, I mean, like they. they I don't think we've got the highest Indonesian population here. I know, but we must have as many Indonesians as we have Thais. No, that's false. In the U.S., there's actually a ton of. Um, Thai there's people. there's more Thai people than there are Indonesians. Yeah, definitely. I'm pretty sure. Yeah. But Indonesia is a much bigger country. I don't think. Do you think? Are you just saying that you don't know? I do know. Also, is there You're a the fact is, checker? Is there this a is, on you. is yeah, there a unified Indonesian cuisine, or is it a variety of cuisines from different places? I guess Ian will tell Wait, us. Wait, well, Indonesian. I mean, it, I. I think it's a amalgamation, a combination, a give know, another synonym. Large array of different things. Thank you. Yeah, yeah well, I don't know why you, you are you unwilling to put spices on things. Do you not know like about taste? Do you know well, things so taste differently. I, I think because I, I, I think because I'm just more tolerant of low taste things. I don't want to spend the money on spices. So is this your way of explaining why you wouldn't know that a coal-fired pizza sounds like a bad idea? Yes. Food marketers are just throwing stuff out there assuming people aren't going to question it so i think what you're going to have to do is buy us a bunch of pizzas and we can do a taste test that sounds mm. valid various pizzas and yeah. butters and butters Sentences are hard.